Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Historic Pinstripes. Again, my name is Brian and I have been a diehard Yankees fan since I was about 7 years old. The goal of the Historic Pinstripes is, as always, to preserve the rich history and tradition of the New York Yankees by discussing the greatest Yankees players and moments in Yankees history. So this week's episode, I'm going to do a profile of the 1937 New York Yankees that won the World Series. It was their sixth World Series. They went back-to-back, of course, winning in 1936, as I mentioned last week, and uh, talked about that team. So a lot of the, the players on that on the 1936 team were also on the 1937 team. But there were some uh, some differences, of course, in, in what happened in the, in, during the year. But anyways, we'll get right into it. The 1937 New York Yankees, they were 102-52. and 52. They had three ties. Of course, some of the games, um, like I mentioned last week, some of the games were, um, there were t- some ties sometimes because, uh, you know, the lights at that time, there, there were no lights. And I don't think any stadium had lights back then. Um, so if it got too dark, they had to call, call the game. Um, the Yankees were actually second in attendance. They were first in attendance um, in 1936. They were not, They had 976,913 uh, people for total attendance throughout the whole year and 998,148 in 1937, which was second um, in, the, in, in the entire league. Um, that was out of eight, eight teams, um, and I believe that was out, in the, out of the entire American League. Because um, there were eight, there were eight teams in the American League, eight teams in the National League. Um, the Yankees, of course, won the World Series. As I said, it was their sixth World Series in 15 years that they had won, and actually, of course, sixth sixth World Series in their franchise history, of course, um, and winning back-to-back World Series for the first time since 1927 and 28. Murderers Row Yankees, um, and they won uh, the the uh, the World Series in com- pretty convincing fashion against the New York Giants. They only lost one game. Um, they lost, they won won the series in five games that year, but getting a little bit more into the 1937 New York Yankees team, they had uh, once again they had Bill Dickey who was now a, a year older he was 30 years old, uh, 34 year old Lou Gehrig first baseman of course the star of the Yankees captain he was an All Star. Um, Bill Dickey was also uh, fifth in the MVP. Lou Gehrig was fourth in the MVP that year. Um, 33-year-old Tony Lazari. This would actually actually be Tony Lazari's final season with the Yankees. Um, he played second base. Um, he didn't have that great of, of a year offensively. His on-base percentage was 348, which which isn't bad, but he was already getting up there in age at that particular time period. Um, I mean, 33 for today's players weren't. This not really considered old nowadays, but um, with the um, advancement in medicine that we have. Who knows, maybe Tony Lazari could have played till he was 40. And, of course, I'm sure salary has something to do with that, too. Um, but moving on, Frank Rossetti, he was 26 years old, shortstop for the Yankees again. Um, he didn't have that great of a year, but he was there for his glove. Uh, I mean, offensively, he didn't have that great a year. He did have 13 stolen bases, though, and he was a leadoff hitter. He was actually, he led the league in, in hit-by-pitches with 12. Um, so, I mean, that's not really an impressive stat, but some like a lot of times, sometimes... Players will try to, they they won't really try to get hit, but if a ball is coming at them, they're going to lead in or something like that. And um, Frank Rossetti was really good at getting on base uh, for the Yankees and causing a lot of havoc on the bases, I'm sure. Um, because th- th- back then, Frank Rossetti was, he was that kind of player. Like, he was a, a guy who could bunt and who could just get, get on base. Um, so 
They also had Red Rolf, who was 28 years old. He was an all-star this year. He had uh, third baseman, of course. He hit 276. Um, he had an 86 on-base plus slugging adjusted, which isn't that great. So basically that just shows that compared to the league average, which your OPS plus would be 100 to be average for the entire league. So his was a little bit below. So for the overall offensive player, um, he wasn't, he probably wasn't even average, but hitting 276 is still pretty good. Um, he had a 365 on base percentage, also good. He had played 154 games. Um, he scored, uh, or no, he struck out 53 times in 741 at bats, which is actually the most played appearances. I mean, and uh, actually, 741 plate appearances is the most plate appearances of 1937 of any uh, baseball player in that season. He stole four bases, and he had 10 triples as well. Um, of course, Red Rolf was a left-handed hitter. 29-year-old Merrill Hogue, he was the one that mostly played right field and left field. Um, George Selkirk that year, he had missed quite a bit of time with some injuries. And uh, um, Merrill Hogue and Tommy Heinrich actually stepped up big time too. Uh, but Merrill Hogue was the guy that really, uh, he really stepped it up for the Yankees and played a large majority of the games. Um, that Selkirk missed. Um, in fact, Merrill Hogue played right field and center field, um, but mostly right field, of course, with Joe DiMaggio. Um, he had three, 301. He had a 96 OPS plus, which, again, that's not bad. I mean, he wasn't an average, considered an average hitter, which is interesting, actually, because he has a 301 batting average. But I think that the fact that he only played 106 games probably hurts that. Um, on base plus slugging adjusted um, because the other guys that have had a lot more at-bats um, or had had a lot more at-bats back then that probably um, had also hit 300. But anyway, so um, uh, Merrill Hogue had a very good year that year, uh, much better, I believe, than 1936. Um, he also had four stolen bases, eight triples. He had 404 plate appearances even in uh, 106 games. 83 strikeouts um, for the season. Um, the next guy is left fielder Jake Powell. He was 28 years old um, in 1937, and he hit 263 with a 69 on base plus slugging adjusted. Um, so it was a below average uh, offensive flair for that year. And he had a 314 on base percentage. He also played in 97 games. He struck out just 36 times, and he had seven stolen bases. And, of course, we have... Joe DiMaggio, Jolton Joe, um, he was an all-star. He uh, was second in the MVP award voting in 1937. The, um, the winner of the MVP in 1937 was the second baseman for the Detroit Tigers, Charlie Gerringer, um, of course a Hall of Famer. Um, and uh, I, I believe if you look at uh, Gerringer's numbers and Joe DiMaggio's numbers, Joe DiMaggio's numbers were probably better but back in those days, I think they they really took more impact into who was the most valuable player to a team. Um, I, I, at least I, I, it seems like they did anyway. Uh, but anyways, um, Joe DiMaggio hit 346 in 1937. He had a 166 on-base plus slugging adjusted. 46 home runs. He led the league in home runs. And that is actually the most home runs that Joe DiMaggio hit in his entire career. Um, I believe he, may, he played like 13 seasons or something like that. Um, he had 167 RBIs, and um, he even had more RBIs than Lou Gehrig, 100, who had 158 RBIs and 37 home runs. 
so I mean, Joe D was this was he was kind of basically knocking on the door as the next great Yankee. He literally was the next great Yankee. Of course, Lou Gehrig was was the Yankee, and he will always be the Yankee of uh, the greatest Yankee of those teams, or at least he'll always be considered like the number one guy on those 1930 late 1930s teams because I mean he was the captain, he, he was the guy. Um, but Joe DiMaggio was he was. Um, it was more than just a supporting act, and, and he was a, he was a great player. Um, he had a 4.12 on base percentage. Uh, Joe DiMaggio did. He had played in 151 games, and he only struck out 37 times in 692 played appearances. And I just kind of like to mention that because um, it's 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 interesting how like just the strategy in the game from today to back in the 1930s, it was just totally different. Of course, nowadays, a lot of players are paid a lot more money, and the owners want them to hit more home runs, and sometimes with that comes a lot more strikeouts. But Joe DiMaggio had 46 home runs, and he still only struck out 37 times. So that's pretty remarkable. Um, He also led the league in runs scored with 151, and he had 15 triples that year as well. Uh, Lou Gehrig, his batting average was 351. Bill Dickey had a 332 batting average, which is very, very good for a catcher. Of course, 1936, he had a career-high 362 batting average, I believe, which wasn't broken. Um, it was the highest batting average for a catcher until Mike Piazza. Um, I think he, Mike Piazza tied it, or, yeah, I believe he tied it in 1997, and then Joe Mara broke it. Um, and that was back in, like, 2009, so it was a long time that Bill Dickey had that record. Um, Bill Dickey had 29 home runs, 133 RBIs, a 417 on-base percentage. He had 144 on-base plus slugging adjusted. Um, and Lou Gehrig actually had the led the league in on-base plus slugging adjusted with 176 um, on-base plus slugging adjusted, which, again, on-base plus slugging adjusted just kind of shows that um, like 100 is the league average, and if it as if it's like way up to like 76, that just shows how great of a player offensively Joe DiMaggio and Lou Gehrig were, and even Bill Dickey for that matter. Um, offensively, those guys were just on another on another level, and even defensively as well. But that that stat just measures offense. Um, but uh, anyways, also another note is Bill Dickey only struck out 22 times in 1937 in 609 plate appearances. Um, Lou Gehrig struck out 94 times in 700 plate appearances, and he had nine triples, Lou Gehrig. Uh, so that, that's the basically the Yankees starting lineup in 1937. They had four All-Stars that year. Uh, they had um, three, got, three players that were in the top five for the MVP award, um, including the runner-up, Joe DiMaggio. Um, again, those guys are Bill Dickey, Lou Gehrig, uh, Tony Lazzari, Frank Rossetti, Red Rofe, Merrill Hogue, Jake Powell, and Joe D. That was pretty much their starting lineup. And the bench players, uh, as, I, as I said before, George Selkirk was hurt for most of the year, and he was usually the starter. He was the guy that usually played right field, but he missed a lot of time, and Merrill Hogue really stepped up for them. But um, George Selkirk, he was a left-handed hitter, as I said last week, 29 years old. He had a 328 batting average, 156 on-base plus slugging, adjusted so that just tells you right there how good he was he had 18 homers 68 rbi the 411 on base percentage and he had 78 games played so 
I mean, he obviously missed a lot of time, but George Selkirk still, he, he, um, and then small amount of time that he played, he really stepped up for the Yankees. So another guy um, I wanted to mention um, that took over for George Selkirk when George Selkirk had, had some of his injuries was Tommy Heinrich. Tommy Heinrich was a rookie. He was 24 years old, left-handed hitter. Um, and also, uh, Tommy Heinrich, he actually played like six years in the minor leagues. Um, uh, so it, it took him a while to get into the big leagues um, of course, he was already 24 years old, so he, he had a, a 320 batting average that year, played left field and right field, a 141 on-base plus slugging adjusted, 419 on-base percentage. He had 67 games played, so he really stepped up as a rookie in 1937 for the Yankees. Um, 26-year-old Don Hefner was the backup second baseman. He did not have a great year, but I'm sure he was just there for his defense and to back up. He didn't play that many games. He only played about 60 games. And the backup catcher was Joe Glenn, who really didn't play that many games. He only played 25 games. But, of course, the Yankees had Bill Dickey, who was like probably the greatest catcher in the game at that point in time, or at least one of the greatest catchers. It was probably him or Mickey Cochran, maybe. Um, but uh, So a few other of the bench players that only played like 12 games, 13 games, 17 games, um, there was Roy Johnson, who was a left-handed hitter, played outfield. Arndt Georgians, um, an, another guy uh, that was a catcher. He only played 13 games. Jack Soxgaver, an infielder, left-handed hitter. He played 17 games. And Babe Dahlgren also was, he made some, some starts for the Yankees as well. Um, so, as I said, the Yankees had four All-Stars um, on their, for, for the position players. On the entire team, they had six All-Stars. Um, Gehrig, Joe DiMaggio, Red Rolf, uh, Bill Dickey, Johnny Murphy, and Lefty Gomez. And we're getting to the pitching staff soon. Uh, but a few other notes. Um, uh, well, one thing about the defense was um, basically the Yankees, in the infield anyway, they, they were pretty much set. They had Red Rolf at third base, Frank Rossetti at shortstop, Tony Lazzari at second base, and this was his final season. But Tony Lazzari was known as a good infielder. Um, and Lou Gehrig at first base, of course, and Bill Dickey behind the plate. In the outfield, they had Jake Powell in left field. Sometimes they ended up putting Tommy Heinrich in left field or Miro Hogue, um, but usually most of the time it was Jake Powell and uh, Joe DiMaggio, of course, in center field, and the right fielder mostly was Miro Hogue, um, and a big part of that was because George Selkirk was hurt um, so much uh, during the season. Um and, and Miro Hogue really stepped up. Tommy Heinrich also played some right field as well. Now getting into the pitching staff, the Yankees pitching led the league in ERA with a 3.65 ERA. So the ace of the staff was basically Lefty Gomez. He had won his second pitcher's triple crown, and including which included uh, being the league leader um, in wins, ERA, and strikeouts as well. And um, back then... The, the league leader in strikeouts did not get, like, 300 strikeouts. He, he had 194 strikeouts. He was not known for striking people out. And Lefty Gomez was ninth in the MVP uh, balloting. He was also an all-star, of course, uh, being the ace of the Yankee staff. 28 years old. Um, he wasn't that tall. Uh, very, uh, I, I think he was a very slender guy. Um, and I don't think people really expected a whole lot from him. But he just had really good stuff and was able to to pitch really, really well. Um, he was 21-11 and 11 in 1937, had a 2-3-3 ERA. Of course, led the league 
in ERA and in wins uh, with 21 wins. Um, he had 34 starts, 23 complete games, or 25 complete games for the Yankees that year. Six shutouts, 278 and a third innings pitched for Lefty Gomez. Um, and he also had a 1.17 walks and hits per innings pitched. So usually if the the walks and hits per innings pitched is higher than 1.30, then um, that's usually not that great. But his was 1.17. Um, but it's really kind of, that's not really, a, it's kind of an imperfect stat because sometimes pitchers, and Lefty Gomez did this in Game 5 of the World Series because I had listened to it on YouTube because you can listen to some of the old games on YouTube. In Game 5 of the 1937 World Series, Lefty Gomez, he helped the Yankees win 4-2, of course. Um, of course, the Yankees won five games. He had a 1.50 in the world in the entire World Series. He pitched two games, um, but but he also gave up quite a bit of hits in that game, and um, and most of the most of the time he was able to get out of trouble. So a lot of times when you're giving up uh, base hits and walks, um, and I don't think he was really walking that many batters, but even if you're giving up a lot of hits, but you're still able to get out of trouble, that's really key. So, so that's why sometimes walks and hits per innings pitch is not always a perfect stat. Um, and another guy who was really, really good that year was Red Ruffing, right-handed pitcher, 32 years old. Um, he also had 20 wins. He was 20 and seven. He had a, a 2.48 ERA that year, 31 starts, uh, 22 complete games, four shutouts. Red Ruffing had 256 and, a, and two-thirds innings pitched. Um, he also had a 1.21 walks and hits per innings pitched. So, and also ERA plus, basically ERA plus, just the higher the number is, uh, it's kind of like uh, on base plus looking adjusted. It just kind of shows your overall value as a pitcher. Um, 193 was the number for Lefty Gomez for ERA plus. Of course, that's because he led the league in ERA. And Red Ruffing had a 150 ERA plus. So they were um, obviously both two of the best pitchers in the game. Uh, Red Ruffing was actually surprisingly not an all-star, but I would imagine they didn't use as many pitchers back in those days in the all-star game because a lot of times they, you know, the, usually the, the starting starting pitcher would go the distance or they, they would at least go a lot further than most pitchers do today in the all-star game. Um, Red Ruffing also, um, he was eighth in the uh, in the balloting for MVP, so he he actually had more votes in, in the MVP running than Lefty Gomez did, which is very interesting considering that Lefty Gomez won his second pitcher's Triple Crown Award that year. So the third starter for the Yankees that year, 32-year-old Bump Hadley. Um, Bump was his nickname. His real name was Irving Darius Hadley. He was nine. Uh, he was 11 and eight that year with a 5.30 ERA. So he didn't have the great greatest numbers, um, at least not like Lefty Gomez and Red Ruffing. He had 25 starts that year. He had uh, 138 and two-thirds innings pitched or so, um, no shutouts. He actually had a 1.58 walks and hits per innings pitched. So not the greatest numbers for Bump Hadley. Monty Pearson, right-handed pitcher, 9-3. He had a 3.17 ERA. Um, he also had had uh, made 20 starts, and he had one save as well for the Yankees. Back in those days, they kind of mixed it up. If, if you weren't pitching, you were basically available in the bullpen unless you pitched the day before. Um, so he had one save as well as uh, t 20 starts, seven complete games, one shutout. He had pitched 144 and two-thirds innings pitched. He had 142 ERA plus and a 1.45 walks and hits per innings pitched. So 
overall pretty darn good year for Monty Pearson. Um, then there was uh, Kemp Wicker, who also made some starts for the Yankees. He was a 30-year-old pitcher. Um, he was 7-3 that year with a 4-4-0 ERA. He had made 10 starts for the Yankees, 6 complete games, which, was, which is very impressive considering the small number of starts he made. Um, he had uh, one shutout, 88 innings pitched as well for Kemp Wicker. And Spud Chandler also made his debut for the New York Yankees. Spud Chandler, he had spent six years in the minor leagues for the Yankees, Red Sox, and Tigers. Um, he played four games in 1937 before being called up to, to the Yankees in the major leagues. He didn't pitch at all in the World Series, though, but he was 7-4 in 1937 when he did play for the Yankees. He had a 2.81 ERA, 10 games pitched, um, or 10 games started, rather. He had six complete games, two shutouts. He had an 82 and a third innings pitched, a 158 ERA plus, and a 1.20 walks and hits per innings pitch for Spud Chandler. Um, and I didn't realize that about Spud Chandler. He really got a late start in his career, and he really didn't play all that long. I, I believe it was a very small guy, too, so he, I'm sure he was probably undervalued um, in those days. Uh, so that's basically the Yankees pitching staff, Lefty Gomez, Red Ruffing, Bump Hadley, Monty Pearson, and then between Kemp Wicker and Spud Chandler, they they kind of... Uh, worked it out and I, I would imagine there might have been some injuries there because I think back in those days they kind of stuck with the uh, st- starting four and uh, Kemp Wicker and Spud Chandler they didn't, really didn't they both only made 10 starts apiece um, so anyways that's the starting pitching staff for the Yankees and so the bullpen for the Yankees was uh, starting with the closer for 1937 Johnny Murphy who you might remember from last week's episode Johnny Murphy was actually more he was just a reliever um and pat malone was the closer so this year was switched uh pat malone was also getting a little bit older johnny murphy was uh younger he was 28 years old um um, he was well he was considered the closer what what a closer would be for that those days and back then closers weren't really they they didn't really seek out saves they just wanted them to save the game basically They, they 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 didn't they didn't seek it. They they didn't seek out saves like they did, um, like they do like when you come into the ninth inning and just try to get the last three outs and you give it to somebody else. Um, uh, Johnny Murphy would come in probably the seventh inning, sixth inning, fifth inning, fourth inning maybe, and sometimes I think he even made a few starts here and there. Um, uh, but he also he finished thirty games. He had ten saves. Um, he had one hundred and eight ERA plus. He had a 4.17 ERA. He was 13 and four for the Yankees. Pat Malone, 34 years old, he was four and four. He had a 5.48 ERA, 28 games. Um, he had a ni- 92 innings pitched. Johnny Murphy had 110 innings pitched. Um, and Pat Malone finished 16 games, had six saves, and he also had three complete games for Pat Malone. So that just shows you how different it was back then. And there are two other relievers. One was Frank Mikowski. Frank Mikowski was 5-2 with a 4.97 ERA. So Ivy Andrews was purchased um, by the New York Yankees from Cleveland in August of 1937 for $7,500. Um, so the Yankees, basically a late-season call-up. Um, he was 13-2 that year with a 3.12 ERA, 11 games pitched, 49 innings, 5 Five games finished, uh, a one save for Ivy Andrews. 
and he had three complete games as well, and a 145 ERA plus. So uh, those are really the main guys in the Yankees bullpen. Two other guys that did make some appearances in the Yankees bullpen, Johnny Broica and Joe Vance. Johnny Broica was 1-4 of four with a 4.70 ERA, and Joe Vance was 1-0 uh, and oh with a 3 ERA. Joe Vance only pitched two games, and Johnny Broica pitched seven games. So neither one of them really made that much of an impact. So now let's get back back to some of the offensive players and the World Series um, between the New York Giants and the New York Yankees. Of course, the New York Giants played at the Polo Grounds, the Yankees, Yankee Stadium. This was this was basically a really big rivalry at the time in the 30s. It was more so in the 20s because the the New York Giants were like before the Yankees started winning World Series in 1923. The New York Giants were the team in baseball, um, but uh, by this time, the Yankees had already won six World Series in 15 years, so they had basically taken over New York. Um, and, of course, obviously the Yankees won the 1936 World Series against the New York Giants. So, of course, the Yankees ended up winning the World Series, as we know now, and going on to win back-to-back World Series. But Tony Lazari was a big part of it. He It was, of course, his last World Series that he played in his last season he played for the New York Yankees. Tony Lazari hit 400 in, in the World Series. He had a home run, two RBIs, three walks, and he even hit a triple. Um, there were four home runs hit by the Yankees. Joe DiMaggio, Lou Gehrig, Merrill Hogue, and Tony Lazari also hit a home run as well. Um, there were four RBIs by Joe DiMaggio, three RBIs by Lou Gehrig and Bill Dickey. And also, Red Ruffing was two for four with a double in the World Series as well. Red Ruffing was known as a very good hitter throughout his career. Part of the reason why he became just a pitcher was because he had a farming accident and I think he lost like a toe or, or one or two toes or something like that in a farming a- accident. But before that injury, he he was actually a really good hitter and he could have been a two-way player just like Babe Ruth, um, except I believe he was a right-handed hitter. But anyway, so game one of the World Series, the Yankees won eight to one, Lefty Gomez, he won the game. Carl Hubble got the loss. Carl Hubble, of course, being a Hall of Fame pitcher as well. Game two uh, went to the Yankees. Yankees won again 8-1. to one. Red Ruffing got the win. Cliff Melton got the loss. Game three of the World Series went to the Yankees again. So 3 nothing Yankees now. Um, and actually, Monty Pearson got the win. Schumacher for the New York Giants got the loss. And Johnny Murphy got the save. And also, Lefty Gomez made two starts in this World Series and two complete games. Red Ruffing made one start and pitched one complete game. That was in Game 2 of the World Series, as I mentioned. Um, so Game 4 of the World Series, the New York Giants, they were down uh, 3 nothing. They finally won this game. They won 7-3. to Um... Again, and uh, Carl Hubble got the win, and the loss went to Bump Hadley, the basically the number four starter for the Yankees. Game five of the World Series, this was where the Yankees clinched. They won four to two, as I mentioned before. Um, Cliff Melton, Cliff Melton actually was on short rest, and the game actually was it, it could have been postponed, but the commissioner actually went down to see the game. They they actually waited for the commissioner, which I believe was Kenneshaw Melton Landis, and they waited for him, and he wanted to get the game in. So they got the game in. Um, he pitched on short rest, Cliff Melton for the New York Giants, and, of course, Lefty Gomez. Uh, 
I believe he was on regular rest. Of course, the Yankees had a 3-1 lead at that point, and Lefty Gomez, he, he did give up a lot of hits, but he, he bent, but he didn't break. And the only runs that the uh, Giants scored against Lefty Gomez in Game 5 of the World Series was hit by Mel Ott, who was a Hall of Famer. Um, he had a home run in the third inning to tie the game at two. Um, I believe the Yankees had scored on a home run by Miller, Merrill Hogue and Tony Lazari, I believe, but I'm not 100% sure um, when those home runs came. But anyways, you, you can actually listen to it on YouTube. Um, the broadcasters for that game on NBC, which was the one that I listened to, the broadcasters were Tom Manning, Red Barber, who I believe was the broadcaster for the Yankees, because I think back in those days they had the broadcaster from each team, which I believe Tom Manning was the broadcaster for the Giants, Red Barber for the Yankees, and they had another guy, uh, Warren Brown, who did like kind of a kind of a game summary in between innings, um, which was kind of interesting, I thought. Um, so the the play to end the game, it was uh, a, basically a ground ball to Lou Gehrig, um, who flipped it to the pitcher who covered first, Lefty Gomez, of course, and the Yankees won the World Series on a ground out to the to the first baseman. Another note, though, about the New York Giants, though, was their catcher, uh, their starting catcher, Gus Mancuso, did not start that game because he had a broken little finger, and um, but he did end up coming up to bat. He pitched it in the ninth, um, and, uh, of course, he grounded out, and the Yankees won the game. Um, but I just thought that was interesting that he still, uh, still played. Um, of course, like I mentioned, Lefty Gomez gave up a lot of hits, but he bent, but he didn't break found a way to get the job done. Um, I believe um, when I was listening to the broadcast, I remember that uh, Lefty Gomez um, was kind of getting in a little bit of trouble. And like, I think it was the eighth inning or seventh inning. And Johnny Murphy was actually warming up in the bullpen, but they never brought him in. And so, you know, that's kind of how the Yankees won the World Series in 1937. And they went back to back um, the 1936 and 1937. And of course, as we know now, they ended up winning four World Series in a row. Um, so that's basically the 1937 New York Yankees season. Uh, again, just like 1936, they I believe they had the exact same record as they did in 1936 as well, which is interesting. But they also had very much the same team. Um, they were proven, and they, they, they were hungry as well. Um, of course, they were led by their captain, Lou Gehrig, um, who was one of the most popular players in baseball and one of the, probably the best player in baseball. Um, Right, except for maybe Joe DiMaggio, but, you know, the Yankees had a great team. So before I let you go, I just wanted to answer the trivia questions from last week and then ask you some new trivia questions. The first trivia question from last week was, who were the first two New York Yankees players to hit at least three homers in consecutive postseasons? And the answer was Reggie Jackson in 77 and Aaron Judge in 2017 and 2018. So that was question number one from last week. Question number two from last week. Can you name the first Yankees pitcher to have at least three strikeout games in a single season? Can you name the first Yankees pitcher to have at least three 12 strikeout games in a single season for the New York Yankees? And the answer is Al Downing with four games in 1963 and three in 1967. So that was the second trivia question from last week. The third trivia question from last week was, in 1910, what pitcher set a club record for strikeouts by a rookie when he fanned 209? The answer, 
thrust forward? And that, that was kind of a hard question there. Um, and again, you can feel free to comment on social media, uh, the answer to these questions, or you can also feel free to just email us at historicpinstripes at gmail.com, or you can just feel free to listen to it and try to answer it uh, during the podcast as well. Um, so this week's trivia questions. The first question is, name the first two Yankees players to hit a walk-off homer in a postseason winner-takes-all game. And again, you can answer the question at historicpinstripes at gmail.com if you want to send it in to us, or you can just answer it um, via social media on Historic Pinstripes on Facebook, at Historic Pinstripes on Instagram, also at HistoricNYOY on Twitter. Um, And the second question, on this date in 2000, who hit a two-run single in the ninth inning of Game 5 of the World Series to give the Yankees a 4-2 victory over the Mets in their third straight title. One more time, on this date in 2000, who had a two-run single in the ninth inning of Game 5 of the World Series to give the Yankees a 4-2 victory over the Mets in their third straight title? And just a hint, he was an infielder. And the question number three for this week, in 1904, what Yankees pitcher set a club record by winning 14 consecutive starts? In 1904, what Yankees pitcher set a club record by winning 14 consecutive starts? So, that, of course, that last one was kind of a difficult question, but I just thought those would be kind of fun uh, to do. You can feel free to email the answers to historicpinstripes at gmail.com. Of course, you can also just comment on uh, social media as well. Again, I just want to thank everybody for listening very, very much. I appreciate it as always. Thank you for sticking with us. I just wanted to mention that the Historic Pinstripes is a proud member of the 4041 Media family with other podcasts such as Free Your Geek, Psych Your Crime, Movie Theater, Time Machine. You can feel free to go to www.4041media.com for more information. And as always, go Yankees! <laughs>